0: Demonic encounters in Iraq, twice in one week? Hello and welcome to the One Cheap Podcast. I'm your co-host, Frank Atwood. Today's podcast is all about my supernatural experiences in Iraq. Right after this. Welcome to the One Cheap Podcast. If you're new here, please consider subscribing and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps out more than you know. Alright, let me preface this podcast by saying these are my true life experiences. Every supernatural experience I have had is real. I believe God wanted me to share them with you to help some of you out. As I have stated in a podcast of supernatural origins, this is God's podcast, not mine. I did not want to create a podcast i like making youtube videos and these podcasts are not intended to waste your precious time either like television movies and video games all right they are intended to make you think about how little time you really do have to accept the gospel of jesus christ they are to help you see that there is a spiritual war going on all around you they are to assist you in your logical conclusions in other words If there are fallen angels, or demons, whatever term you prefer is correct, then it logically follows that if these things are real, and these supernatural experiences are happening, then heaven and hell must be real, too. As I've stated in the first podcast, this is not my idea. It's God's idea. Well, the Holy Spirit's idea. I'm guessing some of you are not Christians and you're on the fence. I hope these podcasts help you to take the plunge and become a Christian, pun intended. I will not bother to go through all of my experiences in chronological order either. I will instead relate them as I remember them, especially the experiences that were the most interesting. And I say interesting and not terrifying because I have never been terrified of any of my experiences with the exception of the first one when I was eight years old. I am a Christian and I know a lot about the enemy. If you have any supernatural encounters, never be afraid. These fallen angels are more like you and I than you think. Feign indifference, like you could care less who they are, and it bothers them more than you know. It is the same way you drive people crazy. You just ignore them. I do this, or I say something unkind like, Hey, if you're going to push the dishes into the sink, then why don't you do them? Also, keep it down out there. i got to work in the morning. I will discuss this more in the Haunted Apartment podcast. It is all about the apartment I had right outside the gate of Fort Stewart, Georgia. I think you can guess the name of the apartments right there. So I was in Iraq on three separate occasions. This being my second trip to Iraq with a new unit. You know what sucks? To leave a duty station like Fort Stewart, Georgia, right after you return from a deployment in Iraq, only to redeploy to Iraq from Fort Hood, Texas. Yep. Yep. I redeployed right back to the same hellhole I had just left for another year. It was a different forward operating base this time around, but the same crappy country. We lived in trailers, divided into two halves. So, two roommates on the left side divided by a separation wall, and two roommates on the right side. The rooms were probably 12 feet wide by 15 feet long. They had linoleum floor coverings and a cheesy orangish wood-stained paneling covering the walls dirty white tin from sandbags leaking when it rained covered the outer shell of the trailers. The army called them pods. Hey, just a thought. If I was relaying this from there, I guess you could really say he's podcasting again. Anyway, the pods were wide enough to fit two twin beds, two nightstands, one mini fridge and two wall lockers and our TV stand with TV. The pods were set up in rows, and all doors faced inward toward an adjacent pod and the common area or sidewalk, which was covered with a tarp to block the harsh sun from heating up your front door. Think of a covered alleyway with everyone's doors facing the center of it. Anyway, as you entered my pod, to your immediate right was my roommate Staff Sergeant Callahan's wall locker, followed by the TV stand, and then my wall locker. This covered the partition wall and helped as a noise buffer between the rooms. Looking straight ahead was the only window the trailers had, and that was covered with sandbags in the back alley. I say back alley because another trailer was behind it, and its covered windows were facing your trailer. Looking to the left in my room was Staff Sergeant Callahan's twin bed, then a little nightstand, then a mini-fridge, then my nightstand, and finally my twin bed. It is important to note that there was only one air conditioning unit per room. Two per trailer, but one per room. Our unit was on the same wall as the door and about six feet above the trailer floor and four feet higher than the bed. Staff Sergeant Callahan had to go south for a couple of months. I don't remember the camp. I'll just say Dragon. I do not recall the area he went to. I just know that it was a a camp of some sort. Um, I want to say it started with a K. I'm not sure. All I remember is I'm glad they didn't need my services. The place he went to was hit with rockets all the time and people were dying down there often. He told me about an incident that had happened to him in one of the bunkers he ran to for cover when the attack started. They were standing in the concrete bunkers. Well, an upside-down U-shaped piece of concrete. It had a window in the middle of it as if it were supposed to have been used as a guard shack or something. He said a Kellogg Brown and Root contractor who had just got to see what's going on He happened to be standing in front of the window to get a better look. The contractor, as it turns out, was due to go home the next day. Staff Sergeant Callahan said a large rocket exploded on the ground and a piece of shrapnel came through the window, hitting the contractor dead in the chest and penetrating his body armor and killing him instantly. So while Callahan was dealing with all that stuff, I was picking up his laundry at the laundry point. He had turned in some laundry before he left and asked if I would mind collecting it for him. I said, sure, no problem, bub. That's a cakewalk compared to what you got to deal with. Well, I finished my errands for the day and I went back to my room and watched a repeat of Everybody Loves Raymond on the Armed Forces Network television. We had four channels, all of which was programmed and the feed was broadcast from a field site relay station. So yes, we had some comforts at home. I began to get sleepy from being out in the 120 degree heat all day and we kept our room at 65 degrees all the time. I mean, if the power went out while you were sleeping, you didn't want to wake up in a ball of sweat. And having been there and done that, we decided to keep the room at 65 degrees. We also kept our mini fridge stocked with water. Air conditioning, in addition to removing heat from a confined space, also removes moisture. If you fail to hydrate before you go to sleep, well, you're going to wake up with cotton mouth, most likely in the middle of the night too. So I killed the TV and lay down under my freshly laundered sheets and blankets. I had taken a shower before settling in to watch TV, so there was nothing left to do but go to sleep. Although our room was not terribly huge, as I said, 12 by 15 feet, the little green LED light on the AC lit it up pretty well. I often slept with my back to it to get to sleep. This night, I just laid on my back and passed out. I started to dream, and in this dream, I was in the garage with my father, in a house I was not familiar with. And I remember the garage was pitch black except for the moonlight coming in from the single window in the back and also coming in through the opened garage door, spilling in from the driveway. Yet everything in the garage was pitch black, but it was outlined by moonlight, sort of like when you see a dark mountain range and you can only make out the tops of the peaks by the contrasting moonlit sky. So we could see nothing in the garage. My father says, I think the light switch is in the corner over there on the other side of the garage doorway. So I go across the open garage door area, noticing the moonlight on the driveway as I go to the wall where the switch is supposed to be. I turn towards the center of the room and I flip the switch, expecting to be drenched in light, but nothing happens. I noticed something strange. A ball-shaped chandelier in the center of the garage started descending from the ceiling. And when it reached a height of about two feet from the floor, it began to rotate and flip over. That's when I noticed eight legs come out of the chandelier. Well, I've seen enough spiders in my time that you do not need to draw me a picture. So I bolted down the moonlit driveway. As I said, man, if I just had a spray can and a lighter, and then all of a sudden a spray can and a lighter appeared in my hands. So I turned and immediately lit a stream of spray from the can and engulfed the spider in a ball of flame. It was at this point that I woke up from the dream. I had cotton mouth. Yep. So I propped myself up on one elbow and started to reach across the door to the mini-fridge when something caught my eyes. I say something because someone would indicate that I had identified it. Or them. Sitting on Callahan's pillow, doing like a Vietnamese-type squat, was what looked like the panfear flute-playing goat boy. He did not look like a goat, though. He looked more like a man with a mohawk. He had horse teeth, like the overbite of a horse and horse eyes. You know when you you pat a horse and they look at you with those eyes? Yep, just like that. His mohawk skin, pupils, and gums were blacker than any black person you have ever seen on earth. I have seen some pretty dark Africans and they were still lighter than him. He was sitting cowering on Callahan's pillow like he was in disbelief. I stared into his eyes and squinted angrily as I said, you son of a... And, as, and I discontinued reaching for the mini-fridge door as I lunged at him to pummel him with my fist. But before I could get across the four-foot gap between the beds, he jumped up and ran down the length of Callahan's bed and then jumped onto the floor. He immediately ran past the foot of my bed and right through the wall. He did all of this, I might add, without making a sound. I mean, there was no bed squeaks as he ran down the bed, and there was no thud. When he leapt onto the floor. Nothing but silence. I think he must have been the spider in my dream. Because he had a terrified look on his face. As if something had happened. That was not supposed to happen. Like I wasn't supposed to get the spray can and the lighter. So he was shook up. So shook up. He forgot to make himself invisible. So he was even more terrified. When he realized I could see him. I wish uh, this is where the experience ended. Unfortunately. No my friend. The next night. I got a visit from what I call a higher demon. Let me say this, when all this was happening, I had never even heard of a guy named Howard Pittman. It wasn't until seven years later that I discovered Howard Pittman. There will be a podcast on him for sure. His life after death experience and his book on the different demons he learned about in the afterlife with the angels who escorted him around. Well, I don't want to get off topic, but all of this made sense to me. Seven years from the time that it happened. I merely bring it up because the description of the different types of demons made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I read them. So the next night rolls around. And I start out in my dream. And I, I'm in New York City. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting on one of those uh, city sidewalk elevators. You know what I'm talking about? The double doors. And it has a basement uh, service elevator beneath it. Uh, you've probably seen them in the movies. It's They, they were shot in New York. You know, the double doors open up. There's like an elevator that comes up with some sort of workman and some smoke billows out of it, you know, from the steam. Uh, Anyway, a guy who looks like the now dead actor Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yep. Googling people. I'm not going to paint you a picture. Anyway, he's got a hold of one of my arms as I'm sitting on my buttocks and he's smacking me on the top of my head as I fend off his blows with my other arm. I squint my eyes angrily up at him as I jump to my feet. I noticed, though, a a reaction as I squinted, as if someone had warned him about my eyes already. He starts backing away, saying, buddy, I was kidding. I was kidding, man. I was messing around. Come on, come on. We go way back to kindergarten. Come on, Bob. Next thing you know, I'm inside of a nice bistro that has like those half country doors. You know, the bottom has a shelf on the top of it. So you can leave the top open and the bottom, I guess, keeps animals out or something. I don't know. Anyway, he comes down the aisle towards me in sweatpants. And I mean some of the raggediest pair of sweatpants you can imagine. Like these things have been washed a thousand times. Almost see-through in some areas. This is the most annoying part. He has this penis. And I'm not trying to be gross. But he has this penis as long and it's poking around inside of his sweatpants like a divining rod looking for water. And I'm sorry if that made you laugh because it wasn't my intention. This image of him was supposed to embarrass me, I guess, and yet be so weird. He probably thought I'd never, you know, tell anyone the story. Well, I guess he was wrong. He also is, he starts asking me, which one of these ladies is your wife? You know, he wants to be intimate with her, he says. Well, he didn't say intimate. He said the other word, but you know, I'm trying to keep it clean. So that's how I know he was middle management. Anyway, I squint at him and again, and I say, surely if we're as good of buddies as you claim, you should be able to pick her out easily out of the, all this crowd. And thankfully, my wife was not in the dream. So he gets annoyed and he looks at his watch and he says, I don't have time for this. And then he ran out the door and then I woke up all cotton mouthed again. So what does it all mean? Well, I think out of all the experiences I've had in the past, the very first experience was my most profound. Let's just say I had my job moment and I passed and they have been watching me ever since. And you know the devil is not God. He can't be everywhere and he does not know everything so he relies on the help of a- the angels that fell with him to keep tabs on us. So unless you're a POW and then you'll never have an experience like this because if you're not being watched you're not a very vulnerable target. I mean sure he, he's his ob- <clears throat> I mean sure his observers catalog everyone. I mean, if you're not a threat, though, they leave you alone. No sense opening the prisoner's eyes. He or she might escape. More on keeping tabs on you in the Psychics Podcast. Hey, if you've ever had a supernatural experience, I would love to hear about it. And if you're still having them, I would love to hear about them as well. You can reach out to me at the Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us, please check out the One Cheap Podcast store on Teespring. I will leave a link in the podcast description or the transcript page if they don't allow hyperlinks. Just copy and paste it into your phone or computer's browser. How about a mask with the One Cheap Podcast logo on it so you can help get the word out? Anyway, I'll leave a link below. Thank you and God bless you.